Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. I have to tell you, people, I've been watching a lot of baseball. I'm a big baseball fan. And I was watching a game last night, and it was amazing to see the Chicago Cubs and just to see the home runs and see that stadium. I have a lot of friends from Chicago. I've never been to Wrigley. But it was just so amazing, the energy. I mean, I swear to God, I could feel it coming through my TV when the guy would crank those homers. Because, you know, I'm a Philadelphia fan, and they're a lot more cursed than us. So that was great. And I also want to say about the, the Dodgers game that was the other night about the Chase Utley slide. I'm going to tell you this right now. No matter what I think, I, I like Chase Utley. And I, do I think it was dirty? Yes. Do I think it was cheap? Yes. Do I think he was trying to hurt him? No. But my biggest part about that was this. It happened in L.A. And now after, you know, the guy got hurt, L.A. scores a tying run. People start cheering. They're cheering the tying run. Now, I'm going to tell you this because I've seen this on Facebook. I've seen these posts before. If it happened in Philadelphia, here's what would happen. Because when the Eagles played the Cowboys a few weeks ago, Tony Romo fumbled. As he fumbled, he got hurt. The Eagles picked up the ball. It's their ball. I had people saying on Facebook, everyone's booing Tony Romo because he got hurt. I'm like, no, they booed the fumble. So if that had happened in Ella in Philadelphia, everyone would have said Philadelphia fans suck because they're booing, booing the uh, injury. Anyway, enough about that. I don't even know if my friend's a, a, a baseball fan. My guest today, it's uh, he's from Boston, Boston area, so he's probably a Red Sox fan. It's Bruce Nozick. How you doing, Bruce? Hey, I'm doing good, Steve. Yes, and I am. I am a very, I'm, I'm actually left Boston when I was about 13 years old, but it's in the blood. You know, I'm a Red Sox fan. I'm a Patriots fan. And I got a lot of friends from Chicago also, and I am very much rooting for the Cubs right now because they are like the Red Sox were for so many years, you know? I mean, a long time since they've, you know, they've made their mark. And so this is exciting. I mean, it's this young team. And I'd say that guy, Arietta is just insane. I mean, like, unbelievable. He, I never even heard of him. I know. And I find out in the second half of the season, since July, he was 15 and one. I know. I, go, I know. Incredible. Incredible. And, and so you're a big baseball fan? Uh, you know, I, I can't say I'm a big baseball fan. I don't even, I, I don't even know the players on the Red Sox, really. I just am, you know, a fan, you know, so I, I follow the, the, the games, especially in the playoffs. And, uh, I, you know, it's in the blood. I, I, I do watch the Patriots every every week. Um, baseball, you know, it's more attention getting when it's the playoffs. And since the Cubs have, you know, it's been a long time. I really would love to see see that happen for, you know, for them and for my friends. Right. I get a lot of friends who are from Chicago. It is. It, it is exciting. You're right. Because Chicago, like, is, is, is that cool city. You know, like, yes, like it the is. East Coast, the East Coast always adopted it. Like, you know, we go, yeah. oh, we got our East Coast. Like, like we don't even, even adopt Florida. Like, I, I was talking to someone and they said they're from Florida. They're from the East Coast. Like, yeah. what part they go, Florida. I go, no, no, no. That's not the East no. Coast. <laughs> and like, well, it's only, no, no. It, it's the South. Yeah. Well, like, no, no, it's not. <laughs> and uh, so now, now growing up in Massachusetts, yeah. I mean, as a kid, yeah. you're in Springfield? Springfield? No, Reading. Reading, okay. Reading, north of Boston. Okay, yeah. so now, now it must have been, there must have been sports just shoved down your throat all the time. Oh, absolutely. And and back then, you know, it was, I, I was actually a hockey fan back then too, which I'm not at all really now, but Bobby Orr was on the Bruins, you know? So, you know, I was a big Bruins fan. I mean, I watched sports, you know, I played Little League. I did all that. It was, it was definitely a big part of the culture there, you know? Now, now, how did you, at what age did you sit there and decide you wanted to get into this business? I mean, would you, were you watching a lot of TV? Were you, was it something that you were, you thought you want to do? Or as a kid, I mean, as a kid, we really know. But I've been surprised that a lot of younger kids, you know, act, people have been on the show when they were kids, they knew like yeah. at a young age. I mean, how did you, how did you start following this path? Yeah, I didn't really know, but I did the, the, the theater department at my middle school in Massachusetts was they, they did a couple of shows a year and I did one or two shows and I loved it. I had a blast. And so after that, my dad who worked for General Electric got a job with the Environmental Protection Agency in, in D.C. So we were going to move to Northern Virginia. And 
to my dad's credit, he went down there to look for an area to live where the school had a good theater program. Okay. Because I, I just dug it. You know, I had a great time doing it. It wasn't something that I thought of as a career, but it was just fun and it was a great outlet for me. So he found this great school in Northern Virginia in Fairfax County where they did like shows, you know, like all year long, eight shows, eight shows a year kind of a thing. And I got very enmeshed in the department there, still not realizing it was something I could actually do for a career. But then this friend of mine, Eric, um, when we were in 11th grade, we were talking about colleges and stuff like that. And he said, yeah, I think I'm going to go to Webster College and study acting. And I was like, what? You, you can go to school and study acting? Right. I, I didn't even know. You know, I mean, I was completely naive. And that's how I sort of like, all of a sudden, my focus just went, boom, that's what I want to do. And I got into New York University. I had to audition. And that's the beginning. You know, I went to New York after after high school. Now, what's the process like? You know, I never, I never asked people this, but I'm trying to think. Like, when I filled out my college application, my, yeah. I, you know, my degree was uh, in business management. And when you fill out, you know, you send different things. But when you go to an acting school, it's not like... You can't sit there, you know, they, they can't look at your SATs and say, hey, you know what, this guy's going to be good because, you know what, I'm sure some people, a lot of creative people don't do well in their SATs because right, right. they don't give a crap. They well, sit there and they go, well, you know, I mean, so so do you sit there, so do, you, do they look at you? How did you get the audition? I mean, how do they sit there? Do they, do they, they can't have everybody audition because right. everybody wants to be an actor. Well, here's the irony. I was valedictorian of my high school class. Okay. I did really well on my SATs. I could have basically done anything. What'd you, you know? get? Uh, she's, you know, back then it was just math and the, I got 700 on math and like 570 on English or something like that. But you know, then I had a great GPA. So when it came to NYU, you had to get accepted into the university and you had to get accepted into the acting program. There were two separate things. The acting program you had to audition for. You had to go in and go up to New York, do a couple of monologues. And, uh, uh, then I also had to get accepted by the university and that was my GPA. That was my grades. There was only one or two schools I had to audition for, you know, back then. I mean, I think it's a lot more, a lot more competitive now than it was back in the 70s, you know. Um, back then, you just, uh, it was the grades. And I mean, I, I applied to a wide range of schools, Northwestern, Cornell, Penn State. All good you schools. Know, all these good schools. So I think I got into them because of my grades. But in terms of the acting stuff, I think they weed people out once they get there, you know, if they, if they realize they're not suited for the program. NYU, I had to audition for, so I got in based on my talent and on, my, or the you know the, the the fledgling talent I had back then, and on the grades. So you get in, and I mean, there's really not a better place to be. Yeah. If now, but what, what was your when you got in when you were freshman year? What was your concentration? Did you sit there and say I want to do stage because you you said you had done some stage, or did you sit there and go I want to do TV? I mean, or I mean, what were you thinking as a freshman at NYU with the, majoring in acting? What are you thinking? You know. Am I going to do this or am I going to act on screen? I mean, what did you think or you just wanted to act? <laughs> I didn't know, you know. I mean, like I said, I get there and I didn't even realize you could major in acting. And the program at NYU, a lot of the uh, the studios, these acting studios that they sent you to were based in the method, you know, the Stanislavski method where you have to, you know, you're supposed to do exercises where you recall an emotional event from your past and bring that up and then incorporate that into a scene you're working on or whatever. I was terrible at it. I, I hated it. I, I, it did not, I mean, I, I studied it for three and a half years, but it did, it never felt organic for me. But, you know, interestingly, getting back to your question, I was, I was accepted at NYU and I was also accepted at UCLA. And those were my two acting choices. UCLA, I figured, okay, film and TV, NYU theater. Uh, but UCLA was so far away. I mean, I was already, I'd already always been on the East coast, you know, I grew up on the East coast. And so 
NYU seemed safer, closer, you know, more, uh, you know, inviting to me. So when I went there, there wasn't a lot of film and TV going on in, in New York back then. There's a lot more going on now. So it was about theater, but I immediately jumped into doing extra work also. Um, when I was a freshman, there was a movie called The Wanderers that hey, Philip Kaufman Love that movie. Directed. The, the, yeah. for, the Fordham Baldies. The Fordham Baldies, the, the Ducky Boys. And, and the little the girl, Pee-wee, is... Uh, is La, uh, what's her name? She was in. Uh, she played Runkle's uh, wife on California Cation. Um, oh, I, that, that was the same girl? Yeah. Oh my gosh, she's so awesome. She played Pee-wee. She's or so... she played... I, I heard that. I was like, and she was a voice on uh, King of the Hill. No kidding. So yeah. you, you did the background work for the, the Actually, <laughs> I was hired to do background work. The, you know, this is this is how I was. I, back then, I had no fear. And, you know, when you get older, you start realizing, oh, this is a hard business. And, it's you know, it's you get nervous talking to people and whatever. But back then, I was a freshman. I was 17 or 18 years old. There was a radio call they put out like an ad on the radio they were looking for ducky boys the ducky boys was that really vicious gang in the movie that were like five foot four or shorter they were all small but they were just like really really vicious and i'm five ten but i said ah screw it i'll go <laughs> and i went to the call and scott rudin who is now a huge producer was one of the casting directors and i met with the casting people and they were like well you're too tall for a ducky boy but we need people for the Pharaohs, which was the Jewish gang. Okay. So they threw me into the Pharaohs as an extra. Okay. But I, I was, I, I was, I just had no, you know, I had no sort of, you know, borders, no, 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 no boundaries. Um, when I was working on, uh, as an extra on set, there was a special little bit that came up that they needed one of the Pharaohs for. And they chose this other guy that was in my, my gang. Um, and then I overheard at lunch, he was telling Scott Rudin, you know, I'm not going to be able to do it. I've got to play and I'm opening that weekend and I can't, I can't do that day of work. I immediately walked up to Scott Rudin and said, Hey, I'm available. <laughs> and I'm sitting there eating lunch and I noticed Scott Rudin going over to Philip Kaufman and, and they're looking over and pointing at me and whatever. And I'm just trying to act very casual, you right, know, right. and I got that part. Now it was a silent bit, you know, it was a part where it was a classroom scene and it's all the Italians are on one side, the wanderers. And a lot of the black gang is on the other side. And then me, I'm sitting front and center. I'm the one Jewish kid in class. And it's Brotherhood Week. And the teacher says, I want to find out how many race, creeds, and colors we have in the room. And, you know, it's all Italians and blacks. And then he says, all Jewish people stand up. And I'm the only one. My name is Dushi. And everybody throws books at me and, you know, mocks me and whatever. But when we were filming the scene, the assistant director came up to me. And he said, listen, you don't say anything. You are a silent bit. You know, I get a little extra money. Right. But you don't say anything because if you say something, they have to make you sag. I wasn't in sag yet. He says, you don't say anything. And I was like, oh, okay, no problem, no problem. Then when they came in for my close-up and Philip Kaufman came over to me and he was like, okay, so, you know, you're going to stand up. You're going to be like, oh, shit. You know, they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna make fun of me and whatever. Me, my 17-year-old, you know, ballsy guy thought, oh, Philip Kaufman told me to say shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I stood up and I was like, oh, shit, you know. And uh, at the end of the day, I went up to the AD, who was not a not a nice guy, really. He had been very, you know, you know, stringent with me. <laughs> I said, "So where's my contract?" <laughs> and he said, "What are you talking about?" I said, "I spoke." I said, "Shit, Philip told me to say, I told you not to say anything." I said, "Well, the director told me to say something. Who am I supposed to listen to?" The next day, the union rep came up to me and said, "So what's the deal? You know, there's this discrepancy." And I explained. She said, "We're going to have to view the footage." And I was like, "Oh crap!" I I, I said it under my breath. 
Right. So they probably weren't going to hear it anyway. Like a month later, at my dorm, my freshman dorm at NYU, I get a check in the mail for an upgrade and a contract from SAG. See because I, <laughs> they gave it to me, and that's how I got into SAG. So that's so cool. Though, I know. It's, so it's, it's, it's really it's, fun. It's just one of those things just out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. On radio ad. And uh, so so you're in NYU, and you're going through, and now you're, right. you're in SAG. Right. But now you're also, you know, in acting. And then, well, you know. When we're 18, we're probably sort of, you know, you know how to be like, you know, so, you know, you know, you, yeah, get, you get that. Yeah, and that, I that did a lot of kid. extra work, you know, while and, I was there. And so now, now when you get out of NYU, then what do you decide to do? You know, the first, the first summer out of NYU, I got a summer stock job, you know, doing musical theater up in New Hampshire. And it's actually where I met two of my best friends in the world. We're still best friends to this day. Um, but I quickly decided that musicals weren't for me because... I would go to these cattle calls and they'd have you sing eight measures or, you know, eight, 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 you know, whatever. And it just, that wasn't what I wanted to focus on. So, dude, I just started <laughs> plugging away, you know? I mean, I had a side job. I worked at an answering service and then I worked at the Helmsley Palace Hotel on the switchboard. Um, but I would just start auditioning, you know? But it was always, it was doing extra work, a little, like I did a Law and Order. That was like the only TV show shooting there at the time. And mostly it was just trying to get on the stage. And, you know, I, I, it was years of, of just, you know, pounding it. You know, years of just auditioning and doing plays that didn't pay anything and meeting people that way and, you know, occasionally getting thrown a line or two on something on a TV show or a film. Um, and then, you know, I made a breakthrough in theater where I, there was a place called, it's still there, called TCG, Theater Communications Group. And it's sort of the, um, the central, um, the central core of the regional theater, the, the country's regional theaters, okay. that, that's sort of like the, the place. And in New York at the time, I don't think it's anymore, but at the time, a lot of regional theaters, which are equity, um, paying theaters around the country would come to New York and through the TCG offices, they would audition for their shows. And I, um, I managed to get an audition there. Uh, at a general audition with the casting director where I had to do monologues or something. And he brought me in for an audition for something. And I got my first equity job um, at a theater in Houston, Texas, the Alley Theater. I did Bomb and Gilead. Um, and then after that, they just started bringing me in more. And I did Death of a Salesman at Actors Theater of Louisville. And for several years, I did regional theater um, where I'd be in New York doing my job as a word processor or a switchboard operator. And then I'd go in and audition and maybe get a job. And for two months, I'd go to Atlanta or I'd go to, you know, Louisville or Albany or Pittsburgh. And it was a blast. You know, you go, you get paid. At Back then, it was a lot of money for me. They put you up, you know, you do the show, you do eight shows a week, you go out and drink afterwards, you go home, you go back. You know, I mean, it was great. It was really fun. But that's really where I got my training. So you got your training and you're, on, and you're doing these gigs. And I yeah. said, you're going for, you know, two, two months or whatever it is. And so now, what point do you sit there? Because it's like anything, the road is very alluring. When I did stand up from, you know, 88 to 95, when I was in the road, it was it was fun. But then as yeah. you get older, like now, I, I would never do it again because the road, I always say the road's for young people. Right. You know? And it's because I just, I can't live that lifestyle anymore. I just, and I, I, it's something I'm interested in. But now for you, as you're doing this, when do you sit there and decide you have to move to L.A.? Because I know you had to make the break to L.A. I mean, was there a certain distinguishing moment? Or? Absolutely. I mean, I was, in, I, was in, I was in New York from 78, which is when I started at NYU. Um, until 92, okay, doing a lot of regional theater. Then I did a play in New York for a year off-Broadway. It was a hit play, and I did that for a year. And 
when I was doing that play, the woman who ultimately became my wife, Terry, I met her. She came to the play with a mutual friend and the rest was history. We, you know, we fell for each other and um, we were inseparable after that. And then I got, I got a movie. I actually got two movies out of New York that you probably will remember this producer, uh, Menachem Golan. Sounds familiar. He, he, originally it was Golan Globus. They were Canon films. They were two Israeli cousins and they were in the eighties. They were it, you know, they discovered Schwarzenegger. They, you know, they, the Cannes film festival had all their stuff all over the place. You know, I mean, it was B movies, but they were, they knew how to work it and how to sell internationally. And they, they really had a run, you know? So Menachem at the time was trying to make a comeback and he was making movies in Russia. He had a producer in Russia that he was doing a co-production with, and they were going to make a series of, of New York gangster movies in Russia because it kind of looks like it, but more because it's cheaper, you know? This was in 91. Okay. Okay, where it was post, it was right after the, the wall fell and, you know, the um, communism fell in Russia and the part, there, was a, there was a coup attempt and it was, you know, it was a very volatile time. But I got cast as Dutch Schultz in New York for these two films that they were going to be shooting in Moscow. Um, my wife and I got married. We, we, we got married after being together for a few years and we actually had to move our wedding up a week, six weeks before our wedding, because I had to go to, to, to Russia. So we got married with three days and then I went to Moscow and my wife, not in the field. She was in publishing. We'd both been in New York a long time. And because I was now quote unquote starring in these two movies, when I was there, I was there for four months. Um, when I was there, we sort of agreed that it was time because I had these movies, I had tape, like, you know, it's time to, to, to go for the film and TV thing. You know, we'd both had it with New York. I'd done a lot of theater. It was time to make some money if possible, you know? So that's what we did. I came back after four months. We packed our stuff up. We drove across country and we moved to LA. What was it like working in Russia? Because <sighs> I mean, it's, it's so it's cause that was a different time. Cause I had Ty Babylonia, the figure skater on yeah. She said when she was over there, it was during the Olympics when Russia was Russia. Like she said, everywhere you went, you knew someone was following you. She said, you, it was just yeah. that thing. But when you're getting there, it's at a different, it's a time when people were getting more free. I mean, did you, did you feel, could you tell it was a country going through a change? Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It was still, I mean, it was dark, you know, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of dark edges to, 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 to what was going on there. There was some Western stuff moving in. There was like a, a pizza hut, you know, and there was a store that we could go and shop at that was imported goods. Um, but then you also, I mean, the, the people were incredibly impoverished. Um, our entire crew was Russian, you know, um, except for like the DP and the director and the actors. So we had a very close connection with them. They were such lovely people, such generous people who didn't really have much, but they would give you whatever. But, um, it was still a very, people were very scared still. The Jewish community there was, you know, they, they would invite us out to their dakas out in the country. And these houses were very like hidden and, and, and like sort of under wraps. And they, they were scared still. It was still a, a, a period where, I mean, just because they had, you know, there'd been this, you know, governmental change, there was still a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff going on that we weren't aware of. Now we were put up in a, in an Azerbaijan hotel in a Russian hotel because Menachem was a cheap person. And so that was very cheap for them. 
somebody was murdered in the restaurant while oh, wow. we were staying there. You know, some of the women got harassed, you know, from our cast. Um, so there was some diciness to it, uh, but it was an incredible experience. I was in Red Square New Year's Eve, the first New Year's Eve after uh, communism came to an end. And the celebration was incredible, but it was also, it was, this, is, this is like a perfect you know, symbolism of what it was like there. People were throwing champagne bottles like through the air and then they would smash. I mean, and so it was dangerous to be right, in Red Square right. because these bottles are flying, but it was this celebration, you know? Um, it was incredible. It was really incredible. So you leave Russia, you move to LA. Right. Now, you had the Russian movies, but, you know, not they're not that known. No. And no. You, you really hadn't done much TV. No. But no. you, you're going to go, now, now, what do you do? You come here and it's not like you can just say, hey, I'm here because, right. you know, and even, you know, you did a few, the, the, the Wanderers. People were like, yeah, I'm a Wanderer. No. So, so where, do you, what do you, where do you start off? Well, I had an agent in New York and the agent in New York had relationships with agents in LA. So through my agent in New York, I got set up with a number of agents out here, like eight or nine agents. Also, Menachem, you know, set me up with like ICM or something, you know, which <laughs> they wanted to have nothing to do with me, you know. Um, but I met with these nine agents. They all were like, oh, my God, you're fabulous. And only one of them wanted to work with me. Isn't that weird? Yeah. You know, they were just blowing a lot of smoke up my ass. But the one that wanted to work with me was a respected boutique agency. And that's who I started working with. Was it Jack Scagnetti? No, it was <laughs> Borenstein, Oric, and Bogart. Oh, wow. That's funny. I always, I always think that's funny. Yeah. So you sign with them. Yep. And now that they start getting you out? Yeah. I started going on auditions. And, you know, I get something here and there. It was, you know, it was challenging to sort of figure it all out, you know? Well, you were, you were in a Kojak TV movie. That was in, uh, that was in New York. Okay. Cause that I was one it. of the few things in New York. That'd be yeah. cool though, working in Kojak. Uh, did I work with him? I don't think I worked with him. I was like in the DA's office, you know, so it was one of the lawyer, uh, one so of the, the like, lawyers. Yeah, I want to work with Kojak. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you, now what do you, what do you start working on? I look at your resume, you know, you did some NYPD blue. Well, that was, that was a great, that was like one of my first breakthrough gigs now how did that come about because i mean as i look at your resume before that you did love and war models i mean you, you right. didn't do anything major right but nypd was such a, a big show and just yeah critical critically acclaimed yeah and just groundbreaking for tv yeah and and, yeah. and who was it? milch no david milch yeah, which i know was the writer and, and people say he's just brilliant yeah oh yeah yeah absolutely um yeah around the same time i i did a recurring on nypd blue and a recurring on er which was also at the beginning of its run. So they were both really good gigs, you know, and it was like, okay, I'm starting to make some headway, you know. Um, I got the jobs just from auditioning, you know. I mean, it was just, I was learning how to audition. I was getting better at, at auditioning. And, um, you know, those pieces of spaghetti stuck to the wall, you know. Well, as you're getting them, because I know you also did a, the commission, you did a few episodes. I did. So you're doing these shows now. At any time, is is any pilot buzz coming up for you? Because it seems like people, you know, it's weird. Because it seems like years ago there was so many pilots, and then you think ninety percent of them didn't get made. I mean, you think about it. It's like now there's oh yeah, many. more than that. Yeah. But, I mean, was there any pilot bu bu buzzing for you, or were you just were you were you the everyday actor guy? I'll tell you, I have the pilot season has eluded me to this day. I have never, and I don't understand why, you know, because I work regularly. Yeah, I work so you consistently. Look at, you look at your resume. I mean, you're, you're, it's constantly, you know, seven seven gigs 
Death Stars a year, eight yeah. gigs. You know? yeah. So, so I wonder, I wonder why that is. Because it's like it seems. I mean, I mean, could you ever figure? I, that just makes no sense. I don't understand it either. I got to tell you, and it, and 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 I've stopped trying to figure it out because uh, the way the business has evolved now, um, getting to be a series regular on a on a, on a TV show is is more and more elusive because now so many film people are coming and doing tv and they're taking a lot of the lead roles you know they're taking a lot of the you know the regular roles i mean i just worked on csi cyber and i'm working with ted danson and i'm working with patricia arquette and you know these are these are the people that are getting the, the regular the regular roles you know for me i mean i did do a pilot i did do one pilot for disney many years ago um called triple play and i played the father of a family of um, we adopt triplets and then my son was played by Zach Efron and he was okay. 13 years old. That's funny. It was pre high school musical. And so I did get that pilot. And then that year Disney made two pilots. They made that pilot and they made the sweet life of Zach and Cody. And they decided to do the sweet life of Zach and Cody instead of triple play. So that didn't go anywhere. Um, and then I was like, I just, I, I haven't had a, a hell of a lot of opportunity to do pilots. Um, I've been a journeyman actor who just works and I do everything. I do voiceovers, I do commercials, I do print, I do um, industrials. I'll, I do it all. Just that's how I pay my bills. I mean, I've supported myself as an actor, you know, not wood for 15 plus years and supported my family. Um, the way that the, those kind of bigger roles happen for me um, have been through the guest star thing. Um, I auditioned for a guest star on Weeds, which I ended up doing two seasons of. Um, I was never made a series regular, but I was a recurring guest star, and I did 15 episodes of that. Um, this past season, I did nine episodes of a show called The Last Ship on TNT. Um, again, it's like just auditioning for the guest thing, and then they like the character, and I'm like, okay, well, this is how it this is how it's going to go for me. You know, maybe one of these, they'll kick me up to a, to a series regular because they don't want to lose me, you know? Um, but you know, it's been working. Well, with weeds, I mean, cause weeds is, I, I watched the first few seasons Yeah. and, uh, once again, uh, the guest before you was on Showtime on, on the show Queer as Folk. Yeah. Now weeds is also one of those shows that it's, it's one of those things where, you know, it has to be on a cable network because it's, it's so different. I mean, we all see, especially now, you know, you see stories like there was just that, uh, that Dennis, not Dennis, she was a dermatologist in New York who they found dead. And then, you know, they said, oh, well, then, then they found out it was a cocaine overdose. But, right. you know, but you don't think, you know, back then you didn't think about housewives, you know, doing that. So, right, right. so now when you said when you're, you, you, they called you back a bunch of times when you first went in, I mean, what did, did what season was it? Uh, they did, uh, I think they did eight seasons, and I did the seventh and eighth season. I was the last two seasons. So you know what was going on with the show. Oh, yeah, and I was a fan of the show, okay. so that's really cool. So what's know? it like when you audition for a show that you're a fan of? Because I would always think, you know, it, it's got to be a little bit, you know, nerve-wracking because you're like, I really like this show. But then yeah. you probably sit there and go, I don't want to come in and seem like a fanboy. Right. And like seem like I know everything about the show because then they'll be like, yeah, what the hell is this? Right, so, right, so right. So how do you, how do you psych yourself up? And and just be you know and plus Mary Louise Parker I mean you know beautiful girl right right so I mean so when you go in for the audition what do you where do you put your mind frame at like you sit there and go I've never seen the show or because you gotta sort of disassociate yourself from the show because because you don't want to be like wait I don't want to act just like this guy who was one right right of course absolutely and and uh, well first of all in the last five six years I've found this guy this uh, this 
audition guru named Tim Phillips, who started in New York and now he's here in LA and he is just a genius um, coach for audition. And, and I, he's a good friend of mine now. And I go to him a lot if I have a, a major audition and we, we work on the audition, you know, so that I make it special, you know, I make it different. I make it unique to me, but I don't even remember if, if I was working with Tim back then, I think I was, but you know, it was a, it was a, I, I have a philosophy that went, I mean, it's, you know, pretty basic, but I think if it's meant to be, it's going to happen, you know, and I, I try not to get too wound up when I go into an audition. Um, that particular audition, there was a, a couple of fortuitous things. One was I walked in the room and the guy who was directing the episode was a guy that was a, a, a cameraman on a TV show I'd done a number of years earlier called Head Cases, um, which I had a, a recurring role on. Um, and he remembered me and I, I had a really great role on that head cases show. And there was this guy who's like, Oh, Bruce, how you doing? You know, you know, Michael, I, I was the DP. I was like, of course. So that was kind of good, you know, to have somebody who was already familiar with me and my work in the room. Also the scene was a scene between me and Kevin Nealon's character. Um, we're playing racquetball. We're old college buddies and we're coming, we reunite in New York and he meets me on a racquetball court. I play racquetball four days a week. So it's something that's my, that's what I do for my, for my exercise. So that was the scene was a racquetball scene, which was kind of fun and relaxing for me. Um, and also to be honest with you, that particular job, I think going in, they said it was going to be multiple episodes and weeds likes to cast celebrities. They like to cast, um, you know, Albert Brooks and they have a lot of celebrities that they guest cast. So, I didn't, you know, I didn't uh, hold my breath on it, but I did the audition. I knew it went well. Like an hour later, um, my my representation got a call that I was the choice. And, and that's very rare that it happens that quickly. They said I was the choice if Showtime didn't want to stunt cast it, which means cast a celebrity. Okay. And then I hear nothing for 24 hours, and the next day I find out that they made an offer to Dana Carvey for the role, for my role. Because, and Dana and, and Kevin have a history, right, you know, right. Hans and Franz, they're saying it live, you know, I'm like, my manager at the time basically was like, well, there's no reason Dana's not going to do this. <laughs> he's, yeah. you know, he's not working. And I'm like, <laughs> so I was like, well, that's not going to happen. You know, it's done. Um, I spent the next three days uh, smoking a lot of pot because I thought it was karmically a good idea. <laughs> you know, as I was waiting, you know, right. weeds. So and, you know, waiting and, and. They were trying to work out a deal with Dana, and it turns out that Dana lives in San Francisco, and it was going to be multiple episodes, and it was going to be difficult for him. He, he doesn't like flying. And plus, he had some, has some health problems in the past, so it probably makes it harder right. for him to fly. Exactly. So that was an issue, and I found out after three days of waiting the night before. I had to be on the set the next morning. I found out at 7 o'clock the night before, and uh, um, I got it. And uh, turned out to be a fabulous job. Yeah, no, you, I mean, it was a lot more episodes than you thought, though. It was. So it not, was. And I didn't know it was going to go for two seasons. You so know. how do they do? Like, after they just sit there and keep going, hey, we're going to call you back. Hey, we're going to call you back. Yeah, they, they, they like the storyline. I mean, what happened was, like I said, I was an old college friend of Kevin's. The show moved to New York for this particular season. And I was like a, a Madoff kind of a character. I ran a securities firm uh, on Wall Street, a very high-end. And I end up hiring Kevin to come work for us and play on our softball team. And 
Um, so that's how it ended up just expanding, you know, into this <laughs> fabulous, you know, just run of shows. Now, did you, did you have to move back to New York or did you just... No, they filmed here. Oh, it takes place. It in takes New place York. in New York, okay. but we filmed it here. Yeah. Now the racquetball. I mean, do you, do you like have other? Do you play with other actors? Is there like an actors network of racquetball players? No. Um, I'm the only actor. I know an actor. I should set you up with. Who's that? His name's Joe Napoli. He was. I remember a TV show called Viper. Yes. He was on Viper. And I never watched vo- it, but I remember yeah, it. Yeah. And he's one of the voices of Casper. He lives in Burbank. He plays racquetball all the time. No kidding. He's probably. I don't know. Joe's what, 61, 62? I heard he's amazing though. Well, I play with the same group of guys. We've been playing. I've been there. 15 17 years at this 24-hour fitness over on uh on pico um one of them is a writer producer one's a punk rock guy one's an orthodontist one's a you know a, a doctor it's a wide variety of guys i'm the only actor um i'm i'm just obsessed with it you know i play four days a week when i'm not working or having a have an audition and so yeah we have this group that's sort of like some days it's three, some days there's six, some days there's four, you know, but we make it work, you know, and it's great exercise. I love it. I See, now, love it. now I'm looking at your resume and I always, I've had so many guests who have been on cold case. Yeah. Now you got to tell me where you killed. I got to know. Cause I like some, <laughs> like I only, I tell this story one night I was sitting there and they used to have a, it was like on ion or one of those channels. They would have a cold yeah. case, uh, marathon. Cold case marathon. Yeah. Like, and I remember my girlfriend, Joanne was upstairs asleep. And I put it on, and there's one episode, and there's Reed Diamond, who was on a few weeks before, and he gets killed. I go, oh, man. I just I tweeted him. I said, you're a dick, you know? And then there's Robert Romanus, and he gets killed. And I'm like, wait, this is pretty cool. There's like a, there's like a, a, a scene going on here. So I had to stay up to see, even though I wanted to go, I had to stay up to see the third one. I think I even dozed off during the, the second one. Right. And then there was no one on for my show, and so no one got killed. <laughs> But now, what was your cold case? Because I love that show. What episode was it? Well, here's here's the funny thing about cold case. It, that was a unique job for me because I did not get killed. I played a, a doctor. They were coming to question me about a, evidence in a case. And the episode was running long, apparently, and my scene was cut. Oh. And it is the first time that I've ever been completely cut out of a show. The only time I've ever been completely cut out of a show was on cold case. I'm a little grateful because I'm still getting residuals, which I hope SAG's not listening because I'm not supposed to get residuals if you're cut out, but I'm still on the roster apparently and I'm getting residuals for it, but I'm cut out of it. That's crazy. Yeah. Oh man. My only show oh, I've ever you... been cut out of. That was Cold Case, right? I know, cold... right. It's so funny you brought that one up. Now, now what's it like for you? Cause you, you go into so many of these, uh, sets and I mean, as I said, you look at your, you know, you look, well, you, got, you shot Hawaii Five-0. Oh, that was so fun. Which now I want to hear this because everyone says oh they fly over there oh. and you're there for like a week and a half. Or, I, mean, it's I like, was there for 12 days. And so the, when they, yeah, Larry, I think Larry Poindexter went right after me. And Starzik went. There's a, bun- Starzik a went, bunch yeah. of people. No, Starzik went to Hawaii for Mad Men, I think. Right. But he there's, there's right. been a lot. Willie Good Garson. Memory. I remember Willie Garson was just on a few weeks ago. He goes recurring. Yeah. And everyone says, oh, that's sorry. a gig where you go for like, I mean, no. now did you know that you got flown there when you were auditioning? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I knew it was a, a gig in Hawaii and I knew, you know, that's where, that's where I would be going, but you never know how long you're going for. And I, I mean, I had an incredible experience because I was there for 12 days. I had seven days off straight in the middle and they don't fly you back. They keep right. you up in this accommodations. I flew my wife out. We had a seven day Hawaiian vacation between my shoot days and we went swimming with the dolphins and, you know, it was just awesome, you know, and they're just so nice and generous. And, and, and I worked with, uh, who's the woman from, uh, risky business, the, Rebecca uh, DeMornay, Rebecca DeMornay. I worked with her. She was my fellow guest star and, uh, 
uh, her I got to pull a gun on and threaten, and that was really fun. Now, have you been killed in any shows? Yes, I have. Okay, now how many yes, times? Yes, I have. Let's see. I was killed on pro, uh, Profiler. I was discovered frozen in a freezer. Now, did they actually have to make you make up to look frozen? They did. No, were you actually in a cold set? I was not. Okay. But they made my face look like it was all frostbitten and frozen. Um, so I was killed on that. Um, I'm trying to think if I was killed on anything else. I was asked this question recently. Um, I can't remember anything else. I've been arrested a lot of times. <laughs> that must be that must be weird because I mean you're getting right you're getting coughed and I mean, it's just it's got to be sitting there. You, and I think as an actor you probably go, well I hope this never happens to me. Yeah, you know, as you can think. Exactly. So you know, and I said, look, it's now you know, you've done some soap opera work too. Yes, I have. Now yes, the soap the soap operas and I always it fascinates me because it's you have to learn so much. You learn so much in such a short amount of time, right. and they don't give you a lot of time. Yeah. So what's that like? Because you you've been in so many episodics, yeah. and you know, as a guest, and then. All of a sudden, you like you run Days of Our Lives, right? And now, how many episodes were you on of that? I did uh, like five over a couple of weeks. So they sit yeah. there and they go, "Hey, they, same thing." They just call you and say, "Hey, we need you." Or how's that work? Yeah, I mean, I think they knew the arc for this character, so I knew in advance um, which days I was working and which episode I was shooting on which day. And some of them were out of order, you know, depending on the availability of other actors. No. Uh, some of the some of the, the scenes were out of order in a script. Correct. Like I would do episode 203 before i did episode 200 you know now is that hard as an actor because you 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 would think your character would develop yeah but not when you're an ancillary character on a soap like i played a doctor you know it wasn't like i had an emotional arc really you know so it's 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 not difficult to plug into whatever happens to be going on in that scene you know but you do get the script a handful of days in advance which is good i got all the scripts in advance so I had, I had ample time to like drill it. I that's the most important thing. The most challenging thing for a soap is to get the lines so ingrained so that when you're on the set, it, it just comes. You know, because they do one take, maybe two. You know, and that's it. So you better know your lines and you better keep it moving, or they're not going to be happy with you. You know. So now, now, what kind of roles are you going out for a lot now? I mean, because you know, I mean, it's like you know, you said you were a doctor. Cold case yeah. and, and Hawaii Five, but you got to pull a gun. So I guess you were a, a lawyer. Good, okay, I was a, a lawyer who was crooked. You now, know, do yeah. you get? I mean, like Franklin and Bash. What did you play on that? Franklin and Bash. I played a very wealthy Malibu billionaire. Um, I got to drive a, a you know, a high end uh, Maybach. And they let you drive that. That I drove it in my driveway. It okay. was like I was I was driving <laughs> and then I had to stop. You know, no, but I've gotten to drive Maseratis um, on a on a lifetime movie that i did and a couple of times i've gotten to drive maseratis um but on that so i was a lawyer who was pissed that people were using my beach on malibu and i was trying to get them you know off my beach and you know i i play a lot of guys with an edge you know do you like that i love it okay i love it that's good because richie keen directed that episode yes and yes, richie's been on the show really a long while oh, ago yeah it was, it was right i think it was right around the time he was about to direct that now oh, yeah. now he's doing a feature he's he's uh, getting I a lot of stuff that. going. i saw it's cool. that it's really good yeah so now how about the movies now you were in mystery alaska i was and i it's funny i just worked that was jay roach right and i just worked with him i just worked with him this week in the uh in all the way about uh, about lbj with brian cranston yeah and spencer garrett yeah, that's right how'd that that's come right. and how did that come about and and is it cool for you to do it's that's a period piece i mean i mean in mm. all in all well, I, I have a picture i can show you when we're done I, I mean obviously the people listening can't see it but I, what they did to me i mean it was 60s i have these glasses my hair is severely parted and the suit loved it loved it 
Um, my character chain smoked. I don't smoke, but how do they do that on the set? Uh, they use herbal cigarettes. Okay, but I so mean, you, you but still? I, I was smoking though. Yeah, I was smoking the herbals. Um, my guy, I played. Uh, I played this guy, uh, a, a real historical figure, Stanley Levison. Um, back in the fifties, he was the head of the American Communist Party. Okay. He was all about human rights, and he was a lawyer from New York. Um, ended up becoming a very close friend and um, advisor to Martin Luther King. Um, and so he's he's actually historically very prominent in the whole civil civil rights. Sort of like Bernie Sanders. And, yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, it was a great great experience. Uh, Jay is phenomenal. Jay Roach. Um, and he remembered me when I came into the audition. He remembered me from Mr. Alaska, which blew my mind. Well, how do you how do you do research for a per- do you actually do some real research because you're playing someone real for Stanley? Then, I could, yeah. and you have to. I mean, but do you sit there? I mean, and once again, it's not like it is now where you can find stuff on the internet, but no one was recording stuff. Like there's no, you know, Stanley Levison's Twitter feed. You know, there's no. not that. So no. how do you go about that? Because I mean, I would think as anything as an actor, you really you really want to make it concise and i know cranston's in it so you know cranston's going to make it as realistic as can absolutely he's amazing do you feel a little pressure when you do that because you're like you know i have to rub some because bottom line is this guy probably still has some family out there yeah and they're going to sit there and go well eh, you know i mean how did you go about doing that i just want to do good work you know and i want to you know they make me look as much like him as they can you know the makeup and hair people and the costume people in terms of the history i just the, the internet's unbelievable you know you can go online and 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 you know, find out anything about somebody. I, I could find transcripts of things that were that he was quoted. I could find FBI files of their monitoring of Stanley Levison. Because he was a communist, he was actually the excuse for the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover to start monitoring Martin Luther King. Because I was hanging out with Martin Luther King. They were like, okay, now we can watch him because he's hanging out with a known communist. And there's just all the, I mean, that's how I knew that he was a chain smoker was from my research. And I told Jay, I said, my research reveals this guy was a chain smoker, you know, classic example. And Jay was like, I love it. He's from New York. A lot of the, a lot of the other guys in the show aren't smoking. I'd love it. He should, he should smoke. Let's do that. You know, um, you just try to find as many nuggets as you can and then make it your own. The thing that really, um, the strongest thing that I discovered about just that era and, and the whole Martin Luther King thing. And this was something that, you know, I spoke to Jay about it in my audition was that these were just guys. You know, Martin Luther King to us is an icon. He's this guy, you know, who was so un- unbelievably important in our history. But these are guys that are just trying to get things done. Right. And, and I call him Martin. I mean, Martin's my friend. We're, we, I'm like, Martin, come on. You know, you got to listen to me. You know, it was, it was a much more personal relationship than, than you initially would think because I mean, I wasn't thinking of anybody having a relationship with Martin Luther King as like a buddy, a friend. Yeah. You know, we have a scene in a bar, just him and I talking about, you know, intimate things. And it's, um, that's what makes it real. That's what's going to make the relationship real. Now, when does that come out? Sometime next year. Okay. It's an HBO movie. They're wrapping this week, I believe. Um, finally done. And then next next year sometime, it's an amazing cast. It must be great to do because HBO just, I mean, they get the best cast in everything. Oh, yeah. Like their movies and their TV and their series. And it's just, I mean, as as an actor, that must be like, you know, getting, you know, the seal of approval. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, they, you look at the different show. I mean, they get some killer. I mean, Pacino's doing movies for them all the time. Oh, it's, yeah. like, it's Pacino. You know, Brian yeah. Scranson is probably the hottest actor 
around right now, you know, yeah. and he's doing them. It's just insane. It is, and it and it is. It's it's it it's very uh, um, very. Uh, what's the word? You know, it it just it 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 gives me a great amount of like just support and 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 you know acknowledgement that I'm doing the right thing here. You know, I mean Spielberg's producing it. It was written by a you know a big writer, and it's a fabulous cast. I feel very very honored to be a part of it. Well, the, the timepieces, though, you also did a Masters of Sex. I did. Which, that must be pretty cool, because once again, my girlfriend did background on that, and, mm-hmm. and I swear to God, like, they had her, the wardrobe was just phenomenal. It's of great. course, for her, it sucked, because she had to sit right next to, like, the coat, the wife, because her father's coaching, and it's this, not this kind of hot right now, but a hot day. Oh, yeah. In, <laughs> outside in Santa Monica. Oh, yeah. And these bleachers, so the sun's beating on you, and the shit is heavy. Mm. I mean, it's like that wool. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not like, like now. But so that must be great, though, when you get to sit there and you get to flash back in time somewhere. Oh, it's so great. I love doing period stuff. And it was funny. I did Masters of Sex right before my audition for All the Way, and they're both sort of, a, it was 63, 64, and I spoke of that, too, with Jay. At my audition, I said, wow, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm flashed back to this era, you know, a lot lately because I just did Masters of Sex. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you know. Um, that was pretty cool though. It was really fun. Now, how did last ship come about? Cause it's funny before the seat, were you on this season? Yes. Okay. Because right before it came out, Mark Moses, who plays a president yep. was on the show I love and Mark. he was saying, I'm on last ship. And what I found out is uh, last ship has a really big following. Yeah. It has, it has, it has like, cause there's, it's like people are dying. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like major characters are dying. And just so, like, yeah. it's, people are sick, right? It's, it's, it's about, oh yeah. The general, like the world is dying and then there are major characters that are dying too. But yes, it's, it's about a plague that hits the world and like 80% of the world's population die. Now, are you on the ship? I, I, I get on the ship. This season I got on the ship. I wasn't originally on the ship. Uh, I played doctor, uh, Matt Malowski, who is a, um, a neurobiologist and a doctor and he's a specialist. And I'm on a Early in the in this second season, I'm on a different ship, the Mercy, which is a hospital ship, and our ship gets overrun by pirates. And the last ship comes to rescue the hospital ship to get whatever medical equipment they can off of it, and also to save whoever's alive still. And I'm one of the few people that are alive. They bring us onto the ship, and they're going to take me to Norfolk and drop me off there, and I I'll do my stuff there. But I say, listen. I'm a specialist in this field and I would like to stay on the ship and I'd like to help. If you have the cure for this disease, I want to help distribute it. And they let me stay on the ship. So that's how I get on the ship and I'm there for the rest of the season. <laughs> and now, and now they shoot that in Culver city, right? Where I live, which is oh, so that's perfect. a gift. So yeah. now, now is it, I mean, what I, I was thinking about this cause is it, is it like, does it look like, is it like a big ship when you go in a lot or do you walk in? I mean, what's the set? Like I did, I did extra work oh, a few weeks ago on a show called Superstore. It's a new comedy. Uh-huh. And that takes place in a Kmart. Well, the set is exactly like a big Kmart. <laughs> I mean, you walk in, you go, I mean, it's not like, like BS. It's like you walk down the crock, they have all the good crock pots. You know, they have, I mean, it's an exact replica of a store. Yeah. For the ship, is it all, I mean, because I guess they, they have to do exteriors, but is there a big ship or is there a bunch of different compartments? The interiors are done at Culver City, and they have basically uh, a full interior of a ship. Not not necessarily as one. They might have, it's, it's on a soundstage, so, but there are barracks, there are control rooms, there are, you know, bay, you know medical bays and all that stuff. And they are, they look you know, completely realistic, but they are on the soundstage. So they're since they're interiors, they can they can build whatever they want on the soundstage. 
The exteriors, they do go to the naval base in San Diego, which I got to do once. I got to go and film exteriors okay. on, on real naval ships on the naval base, and all the extras were Navy personnel when we were down in San Diego. That is unbelievably powerful. These people are incredible. And to be able to share with them, you know, what we were doing and hear their stories of, you know, I mean, this, this, this she must have been... 23 year old woman was like a bomb expert you know and she was getting ready to ship out to Kuwaiti like the next week um incredible um so yeah they do exteriors down there um since I'm a doctor and I'm mostly in the lab uh, most of my stuff was at Culver City interiors um and uh yeah that was a great great gig and they they're, they're about to start shooting the third season um and we'll see how much Dr. Malowski's involved I, I still don't know kind of going off in a different direction after what happened in the end of the second season um but it's a really tight group of people and a wonderful wonderful group to work with now you've worked with a lot of good directors yeah okay, well, and, also, and you've done a lot of drama but they also did along came paulie yeah which was that was that your one of your first ventures into comedy um yeah i guess it was well love and war was uh with jay thomas, a, with jay thomas. That one I got cast because I look like Jay Thomas. I was gonna say that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean they they were, they put out a call for somebody to play his best friend, who's a girl, Susie Plax, and her new boyfriend, and they wanted him to look and act okay. just like Jay. Okay. And so I ended up getting that. <laughs> that was my first like three camera, you know, um, TV show. Um, but then yeah, then I got Along Came Polly, which was just the opening scene in the movie with Ben Stiller and. Uh, um, and that was fun. I played a chef, you know. Um, and I really, you know, I really loved doing comedy. Early on in my career, I ended up getting cast as a lawyer a lot. Um, and it was all a lot of one-hour drama. And that was something that was a little rough to break out of when you are when you get sort of like pigeonholed as a particular kind of character, like a one-hour drama guy, you know, who plays lawyers and slick guys. A lot of times the comedy people don't want to see you. Right. You know? So thanks to Weeds and stuff like that, I've managed to now, you know, get in for more comedy stuff. Now, you've mentioned you do some voiceover stuff. I do. Okay, now, what kind of voiceover projects do you do? Because I, I know you have demos on people. It's your website. Yeah. Is, uh, you, you know, it's, it's a good website. You got your Thank voiceover you. demos. He's got acting demos. It's uh, Bruce Nozick, uh, Bruce, of course, and N-O-Z-I-C-K.com. And he's got his resume. He's got headshots. He's got set photos. I always like it when they have a they have a nice uh, website. It makes it easy for me. Yeah. Uh, so now, how did how'd you get into that voiceover thing? Well, I started doing voiceovers in New York. I had a um, a commercial agent. I've done commercials from the beginning, you know, of my career. And I had a commercial agent where they had a voiceover department. And like a lot of people, you know, people said, "Oh, you got a great voice. You should do voiceovers." A lot of people hear that, and you know, it's it, it never leads anywhere. But I said to my commercial agent, "Can you introduce me to the voiceover agent?" And he did, and. He sent me out on one thing and I booked it. So all of a sudden I had a voice, a voice agent, you know, and I started going on voiceover auditions. A lot of, a lot of, uh, commercials, a lot of, you know, radio commercials and stuff like that. Now I'm out here. I'm with a fantastic voiceover agency. I'm with William Morris Endeavor. Um, it's, it's one of the top agencies in town. I audition virtually every day. Um, a few years back I did a, uh, I narrated a, a show that was on Animal Planet called Untamed and Uncut. It was about animal attacks on people. You okay. know, I had footage of it, and it was very, it was very hyped up, very revved, you know. And it was an hour-long show. We did like fifty some odd episodes over three years. It was a really nice gig. 
Um, that must be pretty cool. And they just go yeah. and and it's like you get to see animals killing people. Yes, yes, and you and you narrate it. You know, you're narrating what's happening. You this know? animal is, you know, that's that's cool. No, no. Also, uh, God bless America. Oh, that was the Bobcat Goldthwait movie. Now, what was your I part did. in that? And and I heard he's was it a small part? Uh, I played like uh, you know Harvey Levin of uh, okay. uh, TMZ. I played Harvey Levin basically, but it was called TMI. On okay. <laughs> now, what was it like working for Goldthwait? Because I know a guy who did sound on my friend Benny McRae did sound on one of Goldthwait's first directing movies, a, a funny, funny movie called Windy City Heat. Uh-huh. And it's about it's they Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla produced it, and they they basically this guy thinks he's going to be an actor. Like they say, you're going to be the next big thing. And he just totally starts turning into a dick. But it's all, it's all, he's the only one who's not in on the joke. And is Bobcat playing that part? Bobcat, no, directs it. Oh, he directs it. And that's yeah. it. So what was it? Because I mean, he's such a, he's smart, smart he guy. And, he is. And to think, I mean, when he did comedy, he was such a goofy character. And, and just so off the wall, it. yeah. And so what was that like? Because I've worked, you know, worked with him and you've worked with Zach Braff, two younger guys who really have, a, a, aren't the traditional director. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bobcat a very serious guy, very smart. Um, it was a really dark script. Um, this this particular script, a lot of murder and mayhem in this script. I oh I I got killed in this show. Ah, oh, you asked me to, a, a good a good shoot. Did you get oh, killed? Oh, I got a really good killing. Did you get shot. Yes, yes, right. I get killed, and they had you know the, the exploding the squibs and blood coming out of my mouth. Oh, that's that. There you go. Yeah, it all, it all comes full circle. <laughs> yes, Cooper yes, yes. I got I murdered in a very bloody way on that show. Um, but he's, you know, he's just a really solid, professional, smart guy who makes really interesting movies. I mean, oh, yeah, I watched some, some of, of his other, uh, the one about you. the dog. Oh my God. That, I watched <laughs> it before I shot it, you know, before I yeah, shot our movie. Like, what? I know. Like, wow, this is messed up. And, and just, just to think that someone even would approach that subject. <laughs> I know. Uh, but you know, he's and, dark. And he's so dark. now, and then Zach Braff. Zach is awesome. He's really, really great. Um, I did his movie, um, his most recent movie with Kate Hudson. Played a doctor. Okay. <laughs> and Manny Patankin was in it as well. Um, did, he, did he sing? Uh, no. No, he was dying. Uh, <laughs> he played Zach's I spent on dad. Set. I was wondering on set if he sang at all. Yeah. Because he's got that great voice. Yeah, no, of course. Avita. I, I saw him do Avita in New York, actually. Now, do you do any stage work anymore? I do. I okay. do. I love it. I st- I, I'm a member of uh, Pacific Resident Theater Company. And where's that at? Uh, it's in Venice. Um, they've been around a long, long time. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful company. Um, and the past spring, this is pretty crazy, but I did a musical. I starred in a musical at the Hudson Theater on Santa Monica. I haven't done a musical in 30 years. I think I have a decent singing voice, and I've been tr- trying to challenge myself. I have two sons, and they're both out of the nest now. And so I've been trying to, I got involved with PRT, and I, I, I wanted to do a musical. I really have. I, I love singing, and I thought this would be a really cool challenge. And this project came along called Loopholes, a pain in the IRS, um, based on a true story that happened to this guy who was hounded by the IRS. They wanted more money than his net worth, and he fought them for 10 years and won, and then he wrote a musical about it. Oh, wow. So that's cool. (laughs) And it was really fun. So what was it like, uh, because you said you haven't done one for 30 years. I mean, your voice changes. Yeah. I mean, and you're sitting there, and and now, but you're you're at a different mentality now. Right. But I mean, did you have to train a lot? Did you have to take... No, and the good thing about this musical, it was perfect for me. It wasn't like a Broadway musical. It was a it was a farce. I mean, it was it was very tongue in cheek. You know, there were songs that were based on you know classic songs like you know, um, putting on the Ritz. There was a an adapted version of it sitting in the Schwitz. Okay. You know, so it was funny stuff, and it was right in my range, and it was 
it was really just right in my in in my wheelhouse. Um, I had to dance a little bit. I had to sing a lot, but I had a great group of professional musical theater people surrounding me, and it went great. I had a blast. We have to wrap up soon now, but the, you you were just on CSI Cyber, you said. Yes, and you just you shot that last week, right? Yep. Because yep. I wanted to see. You know, so now now do you know when that's going to air? I'm the seventh episode, I believe, of the season, and I think it just premiered. I think there's been one or two episodes. I think two, because my yeah. girlfriend watches it. I think so it's another Sunday month, next. month and a half. So what yeah. else is coming up for you? Um, well, I just, like I said, I just wrapped up the uh, all the way. Um, um, I'm doing a, a reading of a new play at PRT uh, in the in the coming weeks. There's a play at PRT that they're they're looking at doing that Daniel Stern may direct um, called Brooklyn Boy. I'm hoping that happens. Um, and I'm waiting to find out about this next season of The Last Ship. I'm hoping to be involved and hoping to get to work in the next few weeks on that. Um, but, you know, that's the thing. As an actor, you just never know what, what's going to happen tomorrow. You know, I've been, it's been a great year for me. I'm very, very blessed. And uh, I'm just, you know, open to what's coming next, you know? Yeah, yeah, I said you got some great shows and you got to go yeah. to Hawaii. Oh, I, yeah. that, that's the best thing. I want to go to Hawaii. That's I think, fabulous. I love paid vacations. I got to tell someone, that, hey, I, I got to get on a Hawaiian radio station. I think <laughs> I got to take Cooper Talk to Hawaii. Oh, I think it'd be good. And so, uh, and so now, um, and your your website is Bruce Nozick. Now, now your voiceover, your demos there. You So you put the demos up. I got demos up there. Yeah, what are some the of the acting demos we'll see up there? Um, I've got uh, a compilation of Weeds clips. Um, so there's a bunch of the stuff I did on weeds. I need to do the same thing for the last ship. I haven't gotten around to doing that yet. Um, I've got like scenes from movies that I've done. I've got some commercials up there. Um, I've got like a drama demo and a comedy demo. You can see the thing I did with Zach Braff. I, I mean, with, uh, Zach Efron up there, I think. Okay. And Zach's like 13 years old. That's funny. It's really funny. Um, I got I, you know, I, I have a variety of stuff up there. I, 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 I haven't been on it for a while, so I can't even like tell you exactly what's on there. Now, do you do the Twitter? I I have started. I was told that it's something I must do. And when so. when did you start? Um, when I was doing the last ship, because okay. that was like Big you said, following. it's a very popular hashtag, show. Because Moses is like hashtag last ship. Yeah. Make sure you hashtag and last I'm, ship. I'm on all this hashtag last ship, fans last ship, all this stuff. You what's know? your uh, Twitter? Uh, at Bruce Nazik. Okay. Yeah. And now the Instagram. I have it. I, I haven't been doing much you of it. Should, you, you should take your on-set photos you have yeah. and pop them up because people love to see that stuff. You know, I've learned this from, you know, just doing the show that, you know, we're in this business, but there's so many people, like when I was on, I was on Ellen, as I said on last week, yeah. man, my, my wall blew up on Facebook. People were, Hey, we saw you. And I'm like, I played a, I impersonated the news. It's not like, <laughs> it's not like I was, it was me, but people love that. So you got to do that. Is it Bruce Nozick on, on Instagram? It too? is, it is, it is. And you know, ever since I've been doing TV and film, I've always taking pictures with Good. people that I work with. So I have these albums of pictures from like 25 years well, ago. Well, you got Instagram you know? and Twitter that. Yeah. I mean, back it's like pages and pages. Anyway, I want to thank you for coming on. It's my pleasure. It was a good time. And so people really follow fun. him. Go check his website out, Bruce Nozick. I look for him at CBS, uh, Cyber, CSI Cyber. And uh, follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. That's at Cooper Talk. I tweet all the time. Instagram, Cooper Talk 1. I put some stuff up. I, I put a lot of food things up on there just because, you know, I want you to eat healthy and cheap. And I'll tell you, you, know, you get a nice plate. <laughs> You know, I'll put an ahi up. I get the stuff on sale. I, ahi and green beans, three fifty for dinner. You can't beat that. So do that. <laughs> also, send me an email, cooper at coopertalk.net, which is my website. I have over uh, 400, almost 430 episodes up there. And you can find me on iTunes or Stitcher, type in one word, Cooper Talk, or go to the Android store 
and Google Play and type in Cooper Talk and you get my app that updates every uh, every time an episode goes to my website. So keep doing that and go to my other website, StopTheSalt.com. It's my low-sodium cookbook. After I went through my health problems, I made a cookbook, 120 recipes, easy to make, no pictures to intimidate you, no long ingredients so you get, you get stressed out. Just go buy it. You can go to Amazon or you can go to BarnesandNoble.com or just buy it from StopTheSalt.com. That way, I make more money and I'll even sign it for you. So go to StopTheSalt.com and buy it up. So anyway, I want to thank you guys for listening. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I will talk to you guys next week.